Thank you for listening to the Bible preaching ministry of Dr. Tim Pollock at the Home Church of Lodi, California. You can get more information about our church and about starting a relationship with Jesus Christ at www.thehomechurch.net. Our prayer is that this message from God's Word will renew your heart and mind today.
it will be at the same time thoroughly perverted. The devil has always been in the religious business. He is today. And when the rapture comes, he's going to go all out. Today we know that there are billions, sadly there are billions, who are trapped in false religion even today, dwindling even blissfully. They are under the deception of the devil. They are on their way to a Christless eternity. We love them. We love Jesus. It is our responsibility to do what we can to give them the blessed gospel. And we must tell others about the coming deception. If we're wise, we will read the signs and we will understand the symbols. That's what the book of Revelation is all about. A little thought here, cute thought before we begin. Kind of a heavy message. Kindergarten teacher gave her class a show and tell, apparently. Thank you, Brother John, for your good testimony there. Kindergarten teacher gave her class a show and tell assignment bringing something to represent their religion. First child got in front of the class and said, My name is Benjamin. I am Jewish, which is the softest word. The teacher grinned with delight. Second child got in front of her class and said, My name is Mary. I am a Catholic, and this is the crucifix. Thank you, Mary. Third child got up in front of the class and said, My name is Thomas, and I am a Baptist, and this is a casserole. <laughs> now, it's true. We Baptists love to eat. <laughs> That's for sure. But there's something else we love even more than that. We love Jesus Christ, and we love the blessed Word of God. I hope you love the Bible today. I hope you will listen closely and not allow human thoughts to whisk away these strong Bible truths. Let's all bow for prayer. Now, Father, I thank you for your help and strength. And Lord, it's been a good week in your word of counseling and ministering and meeting with people and doing so many things. And Lord, just it's been a blessing. Now, Lord, this morning, collect our minds and hearts. I pray that, Lord, you will review and you will put to silence every demonic thought in any mind, that, Lord, today you would collect us openly around your word. Help us to be open to your word, to receive your word. I pray that, Lord, you will speak to each of us and teach us and grow us. In Jesus' name, amen. Now, the book of Revelation can be heavy in its places. Some places it's just so thrilling and exciting. This is one of those heavy passages. We have been working through this tremendous book for several years. It's an amazing book, really, because in some sense we go back to the future. Penned 2,000 years ago, at least put on paper 2,000 years ago, and yet forever settled in the heavens. It's an incredible and accurate picture of 2024 and the future year. It's informative as well where we're headed. You know, I never wake up in the morning thinking, oh, you know, what's about to happen now? Right now, or something close by, yeah, you know, get a little worried. But as far as the big picture, I get it. I understand where we're going. And that's what God's plan is. Now, basically, our plan has been to take about a chapter a year, which is, I think, sufficient enough to be thorough in four weeks for the first month of the year. But not so much that we become overwhelmed by the details and just kind of lost in some pretty uh, strong things. So we find ourselves in chapter 17. As we balance the month of January for three Sundays, there is so much we need to understand of chapter 17. Our plan is to go through it verse by verse and little bit by little bit so that we can talk about this coming world religion that is going to be destroyed by Jesus when he comes at the end of the tribulation period. The fact of the matter is, human beings are worshipers by nature. They're also worshipers by nurture. They will worship something. You can count on it. Because God made them. That's why they will, because God made them to be worshipped. They'll either worship a, a god of gods or a little god. It has been said, man is restless. 
finds his rest in Christ. Everybody bows in evidence, either to a little g God or to the real God, God, our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Now, because of our sin nature, if we do bow to a little God, we bow to one that accommodates our sinfulness, playing on this religious bent then, this desire to worship something, Satan, who is a fallen angel, Lucifer, he and his imps, these demons, ramp up and energize false religion. And do you think false religion is bad now? We not sense it as much here, but in certain parts of the world, it is suffocating the people live. And I will tell you, in that day, Mr. Satan, Mr. Sin himself will go into action. But surprisingly, he won't come out as some dirty, dark devil, but in fact, an angel, an angel of light. Here's what Paul said in 2 Corinthians 11 and verse 13. Paul warned his church, his beloved people. He said, there are false apostles. Now stop it, folks. Don't just be eating everything that comes down the pike. Stop it. There are deceitful workers out there. I'm not being negative. I'm just telling you. They are transforming themselves into an apostle of Christ. So you need to keep your self aware and your eyes open. And the reason they are is because it's no marvel. Because Satan himself will be transformed. Satan is the original shapeshifter. He is going to be shifted into an angel of light. Therefore, it's no great thing that his ministers, verse 15, also be transformed as the ministers of righteousness. You'd say, what? They're going to be doing righteous? Yes. You'd say, say, well, they're doing so many good things. My friend, doing good things does not mean that they are not an agent of Satan. That's what he's saying here. He said, don't believe it just because it's good whose end it shall be according to their works. Satan will be disguised as an angel of light. Here's what the Apostle Paul said about that to Timothy, his young brother in the Lord. 1 Timothy chapter 4 and verse 1, he said, Now the Spirit speaketh expressly. That means this is, if anything is definite, this is. In the latter times, in the latter times, and we are in the latter times. We may not be in the book during the time of tribulation, but we are in the latter times. Some shall depart from the faith. They'll become apostates. Why? Because they will give heed to seducing spirits. That's an important little phrase there because we're going to be talking about a seducing person, a harlot, in a few moments. The doctrine of devils. What? You mean a a religion that the demons come up with? Yes. All over the world, for the most part, people will be very religious, more than ever before. There'll be a rejection of God. There'll be a rejection of Jesus, a absolute hatred for Jesus. The Bible will be certainly outlawed, at least the Bible we hold in our hands. I'm sure there'll be new versions that take out everything that's anything good, but despite humanity's arrogance, Father God mercifully and graciously continues to reach out to these so that they can be saved. Since day one, Satan has been on an effort to divert and to dilute and to get people lured and trapped into a system of worship that is not of the true God. And this is going to come to head in the new in the coming days as never before, right before the second coming of Christ, right at the end of the tribulation period now, this is going to be an all-out wide world event of religion. Satan has spawned all false religions. They may have different names. They have different rites and ceremonies. They all have one common, and that is they attach themselves to non-deities, not real, true gods. They are all to the one systems that teach people you can be saved by your own good works. You have to eat certain foods. You have to wear certain clothing. By the way, if someone's so insistent upon wearing certain kind of clothing, you 
pretty much guarantee that's a false religion because they're trying to earn their way in God's sight by wearing some piece of cloth, some little hat or shoes or whatever, or eating certain foods or kneeling at a certain time or praying at a certain time. Folks, all of that is just going to lead into this one world religion. It's going to be spiritual. It's going to be good. It's going to be wonderful. Everybody's going to talk about it. Everybody's going to and just going to be so excited about it. And in fact, Jesus said, if it were possible, it would even deceive the elect. And thank God it's not possible. Because if you are saved, you're one of his elect. So we're going to take time here over the next three weeks, today and two more, to examine the book of the chapter 17. Today, the examination of the harlot. Then second of all, the explanation of the harlot, verses 7 through 12. And then the extermination of the harlot, verses 13 through 17. So today, five key takeaways. Let's go right into it. Let's go to verse number one. The consequence or the significance, the amazing fact of this harlot. Verse number one. And there came one of the seven angels which had seven vials. Now these are like bowls, bowls of judgment. This is one of the angels that was involved in pouring out those bold judgments. And talked with me, saying unto me, Come hither, I will show unto thee the judgment of the great whore that sitteth upon many waters. Now when you look closer here, it says one of the seven angels which had the seven vials. Now in chapter 16, we talked about those angels. So one of those seven angels is going to be called to step forward and he's going to speak to John who has been uh, exiled to the Isle of Patmos. He's been getting these visions and he's going to say, now I've told you what the destruction is. Now I'm going to tell you who is going to be the main target of this destruction. And he talked with me and he said, come hither. I love that little phrase. The more I meditated upon that, I just got tickled. Here is God saying to the angel, say, tell John, come hither. Come and listen to what I've got to tell you. Come and read the word of God. Come hither. Aren't we glad that God always says, come hither. He doesn't say, get out of here. I don't want you to hear. He always says, come, come to me. God is so gracious. In fact, here's the amazing thing about God. He doesn't care how much and how many questions you have. You are free to ask it of God. And so the angel says, come hither. I'm going to show you about this prostitute, this spiritual harlot. Now, harlotry in the Bible, as you might imagine, is prostitution. It is condemned on a physical basis. But it is not only about physical uh, prostitution by an individual, but this here is spiritual prostitution by an entity. It is a metaphor for spiritual false religion and apostasy. For example, when the prophet Nahum was preaching out his message to Nineveh in Nahum chapter 3 and verse number 4, he said, Nineveh is full of harlotry. Why? Because any entity, any city, any group of people that have left their marriage to Jehovah God has been prostituted themselves to a false god. They've done it for prosperity. They've done it for pleasure. They've done it for power. Whatever the case, they have committed spiritual fornication. Now, whenever these attributes and characteristics are manifested, that place is called Babylon. So don't miss that. Whenever that spiritual harlotry takes place, that place can be called Babylon. Several places in Scripture were called Babylon, even though they weren't literally Babylon. That is, it is all connected to that original sin back at the Tower of Babel that we'll look at a few minutes later. Notice what it says about this Harlot, verse number one, she sits upon many waters. Sitting. That's what kings do. That's 
what you do when you have a throne and you're in authority. You sit. It's a position of authority. Sometimes someone says, who's the sitting president? Meaning, who is currently in office? And so, this is symbolizing rule. Well, where is this ruling one sitting? Upon many waters. Upon many waters. Now, that was literally true of the city Babylon. There's the Tower of Babel, but there's also the city of Babel, which is on the river Euphrates. So it was literally true. In fact, in Jeremiah 51 and verse 13, the prophet said, O thou that dwellest upon many waters. But now God is talking about something more than just waters. Although, as you know, one of the rules of prophecy is there is a local look, and there is a secondary and future look that's much bigger and often years, sometimes thousands of years down the line. But this is a double meaning here. That In fact, Babylon was on a river. But it's something more than that. And I'm thankful that God sometimes explains His own imagery in the book of Revelation. Not always, but sometimes He does. This is one of the times He does. And so go to verse 15 of the same chapter here, Revelation 17. Now, here the Holy Spirit tells us what those waters are. And he saith unto me, The water that thou sawest, where the whore sitteth, are people, multitudes, nations, tongues, languages. Now, when a city was built by a good waterway, they did so because it would be a place that trade could come through and go on. Those nations would often prosper because people from other countries would come through there. And so what they were saying was, and what God is saying here, is that the far-reaching consequence of spiritual Babylon will be immense, meaning all peoples of all over the world from this spiritual Babylon, from this terrible place, it's going to affect the entire world. Seeds of that have already I remind us here this morning, folks, if any a generation, whether it be the boomers or the Gen X or the Gen Z or the Gen whatever, I'm telling you, we all need to know that there is a demonic religion that is working already. It is going to come to a head in the great day. In the last days, it's not going to be a lack of religion. In fact, it's going to be more religion than ever. In fact, the Bible prophesied, 2 Timothy chapter 3 and verse 5, it will be a form of godliness, but only a form. It will be religion without reality. I read a statistic this week according to Pew Forum on religion and public life. Listen to this. 57%, 57% of evangelical church attendees believe that many religions can lead to eternal life. Basically, it doesn't make any difference what you believe as long as you believe in some religion. In fact, 70% of Americans say that have some religious affiliation share the same ideas. That's one Christian sociologist, a professor at Rice University. He said, that survey shows religion in America is indeed 3,000 miles wide and three inches deep. The Lord himself could not be any more clear. There's not... A, Ten ways or thousand ways to heaven. Jesus said, I am the way. I am the truth and I am the life. Nobody comes to the Father but by me. Friends, there's only one way to heaven. And that is a crimson robe and the shed blood of Jesus Christ. And so the consequence of the heart. This is a very big situation God is saying. Number two, the confederacy. Who joins with the heart? We'll see that in verses two and three. We're informed who she is, who this big religious group teams up with. Verse number two, with whom the kings of the earth have committed fornication, and the inhabitants of the earth have been made drunk with the wine of her fornication. So John is now told who is going to join this religious group. It says kings from all over the earth. They have been deceived by the unholy trinity, false prophet, who is a religious leader, Satan, who is, in fact,
back uh, alive and well, the Antichrist, who is empowered, he is a political leader empowered by Satan. All the woke, Bible-rejecting leaders of the world, every one of them are going to come and get in bed with Babylon, the one world religion. As a result, they'll end up diseased and eventually destroyed. Now, the Bible is saying that everyone's going to come together. Think about all the different forms of government in the world. There are democracies. There are monarchies. There are autocracies and theocracies. All of them are going to come together. They're going to forget all of their concepts and come together in religion, in the name of religion. All the Democrats are going to come together with all the Republicans that day, and they're going to come and they're going to join together under the banner of religion. All the nations of the United Nations, they're all going to come under the banner of religion. Russia, Ukraine, they're going to be just like best friends, right under the banner of religion. North Korea and anybody else in the world, they're going to love each other because the false prophet is working here. Listen, and everybody's going to fall in step. Look what it says in verse number two. Not only do the leaders of the world, and of course their leadership includes a lot of people. In verse two, it says the inhabitants of the earth have been made drunk with the wine of their fornication. Basically, everybody on the face of the earth is going to be swept into this spiritual fornication. Every unbeliever, wealthy, poor, male, female, eastern, western, it makes no difference. Everybody is getting sucked in. Why? Because they have been made drunk. How did they get made drunk? The wine of her fornication. Now, I don't think that the false prophet and the Antichrist are giving people Kool-Aid, some kind of alcoholic wine, although it does certainly talk about the wine there. And it's not really the fornication in the sense of sexual activity, but it is spiritual allurement. That is, it's an intoxicating, alluring, exciting religion of freedom, of novelty, of humanism. I mean, people are going to be just like blown away. This is so exciting. This is what I've always wanted. I wanted a religion that was just so exciting like this. And all the time, Satan will be pulling the strings, orchestrating the whole thing. All the people will be coming together. There'll be thousands and thousands of people that will meet together. They'll have great conferences. They'll fill up stadiums. They will raise their hands and worship congregations. Several years ago, we went to went to Salt Lake City and stopped in Provo, which is where the head of uh, some of the Mormon things are. I, I really wasn't there, but I'll tell you one thing. It, to me, I felt like I was in the Twilight Zone. I mean, every store I went to, they all looked the same. Went in the mall, they all looked the same. Everybody was smiling from ear to ear. And they all looked the same. I thought, man, if I've been transported, you know. But uh, that uh, Mormon concept and folks, it was suffocating. Can you imagine what it's going to be like in that day when everybody is pressuring everybody to engage in this, this demonic religion? Well, God gives John a little different thought now, verse 3. So he carried me away in the spirit into the wilderness. You get to do a little uh, Star Trek thing here. You get uh, whisked away. And I saw a woman sit upon a scarlet-covered seat full of the names of blasphemy, having seven heads and ten horns. And so the Holy Spirit just picks up John, whether in the spirit or physically, we're not really told. But he, uh, the Holy Spirit picks him up and takes him out on a divine field trip. He goes out to a desert. I don't know if it's a five-star all-inclusive or what it is, but he's out there, very barren place. It says it's a desert. Today, if you were to go to Babylon, I think you'd be more picture of it. It's very barren. So that's where he goes. He goes out there. He's in the, out in the country, and he's looking at this uh, city here. It says the Holy Spirit takes him from the comet, from this place, and he shows him a woman, a prostitute, the one world religion. But he notice he says something about her. It is a woman sitting upon a scarlet-colored beast, sitting upon the beast. 
Now, chapter 13, we know who the beast is, and that's the Antichrist and his system, not just him, but his system. So it's really, sometimes it's used interchangeably with his concepts or his false beliefs. Sometimes it's talking about just him. But the fact of the matter is the false prophet and the false religion is sitting on the beast. That is that the beast, the political world, is carrying religion. But the rider is in charge. Normally when you ride a beast, you're in charge. That's not me. When I ride a horse, I'm never in charge. I don't know why. Those horses run away from me. But you're supposed to be in charge. And so the false prophet is in charge. So listen, the political world is supporting the religious world. But the religious world is riding. They're in charge. They're controlling. Now I ask you the question. Just today, this is not the tribulation period, but just today, as you look out in the world, do you know of any place where the controlling political governments are pushing and demanding that people accept certain religions? And what religion is it? Well, I only know of one, and that is Islam. And there are many nations on the face of the earth that are demanding that people become Islamic. And I know that Hinduism is a big pressure as well, but nothing like Islam. Islam is taking over cities. It is taking over countries. UK alone, the mayor of London is a, uh, is, is a, is a Muslim. And the governor, the new uh, prime minister, governor of Scotland is a Muslim. Now, folks, is it... Islam that the world is going to be turning to? I don't know. I'll tell you one thing. The Bible is very clear that it is going to be a one-world political religious system. And they're going to coexist for a while. You've seen the little bumper sticker, right? Coexist, the little symbol. Coexist, they say. They try to put all the different religions together. By the way, when you see that on someone's bumper there, they're just, they're just pushing for a one-world religion. But it's only going to be a while. Why? Because now we're going to find out what happens to those ten horns. Verse 16, Revelation 17, verse 16. And the ten horns, which thou sawest upon the beast, there these shall hate the horse, and they'll make her desolate, naked, and eat her flesh, and burn her with fire. So the political world, after a while, they're going to get fed up with the religious world political world doesn't like religion overcoming people. They're going to rise up and they are going to kill the religious system. Maybe that's why it's a scarlet covered, colored beast. Scarlet just uh, bathed in the blood of the religion. Then it's going to have a one, it's going to morph into one system. It's going to be a political religious system of Babylon. By the way, Scarlet color has been the color used by many religions. In fact, some cases, uh, it is required that they wear scarlet. But notice it says that this beast is going to be full of the names of blasphemy. The names of blasphemy, full of them. Now, it will be called Christ, but it's going to be an antichrist. They will say we're lawless, but or law abiders, but it will be lawless. In fact, here's what, the, here's what the prophet Isaiah summed it up. Isaiah 5 and verse 20. Woe unto them, those who have these words of blasphemy. Woe unto them who call evil good and good evil. Who put darkness for light and light for darkness. That put bitter for sweet and sweet for bitter. When a world is in rebellion against God, they have a skewed perspective. And they embrace a topsy-turvy morality. There are more and more people today who call evil good and good evil. They promote behaviors that the Bible says is absolutely sinful. In fact, it's no longer just the acceptation of evil. It is the celebration. Everything's disgusting and evil. And that's what it's going to be like in that day, full of blasphemy, calling things that are good evil and the things that are evil good. But also notice that the scarlet beast has seven heads. Now again, we're 
given some insight into who, what these seven heads are. There's nine seven heads and seven mountains upon which the woman sitteth. Seven heads represent seven mountains. Now, are these real mountains? They could be. Some Bible teachers uh, suspect that uh, that's why this is a Roman system, because Rome is uh, well known for seven mountains around it. But Athens also has seven mountains. Tehran has seven mountains. Mecca has seven mountains. Even San Diego has seven mountains, they say. I don't know that San Diego is going to be the Babylon of the future. But also, many times in Scripture, mountains represent the power of a kingdom or the power of an individual person. You may may remember Daniel chapter 2. Remember that wicked, immoral king, Nebuchadnezzar? You may remember when in that chapter... Nebuchadnezzar is described as a mountain that fills the whole earth. And so it would seem then that these seven mountains are just seven kingdoms, seven uh, very large uh, countries or areas. It's interesting today that we have what's called the G7 nations, Canada, France, Germany, Italy, Japan, United Kingdom, the United States as well as parts of the European Union. Interesting, they use the term seven because there are seven mountains. Well, then it says ten horns. Again, we're privileged to know what those are because in verse 12, it says they are ten kings, ten world leaders. They all have one purpose, and that is to give their endorsement to the beast and to bring their area underneath this one world political, one world religion. And at this time, it will be the greatest persecutor of biblical Christianity that's ever been. There's a new fad out there in the religious world today called syncretism, S-Y-N-C-R-E-T-I-S-M, syncretism. It is a fusion of religions. For example, one of the kind of like Tex-Mex food, you know, Texan food, Mexican food. But it's kind of a fusion one of the popular ones today is Hinduism, Unitarianism, and Christian Science. But this will be constantly evolving, and so in that day there will be a syncretism. All the major religions, they will take what's so-called Christianity or Muslim. They will take Hinduism or Judaism or Buddhism. They will take all the other religions that are out there. But the Bible makes it very clear what true religion is. It's not all of that. It is those that love the Lord your God with all your heart and all your soul and all your mind. And so there's going to be a great confederacy. And now let's look at the clothes of the harlot. Number three, the clothes of the harlot. What is this harlot wearing? Well, they weren't usually there a lot. Verse number four says, She'll be recognized because she'll be arrayed in purple and scarlet colors, decked with gold and precious stones and pearls. Religious Babylon is no exception to the rule of the attire of a harlot. Clothed in purple and scarlet. I'm not told exactly what that means, but typically that means the idea of royalty or riches. And so this is a high-class prostitute here. This is the fact that fake religion will become extremely wealthy. You know, the wealth that the religious harlot will have will be just astounding, even today. There are systems of religion that are absolutely just phenomenally rich. We have visited churches and cathedrals and temples that are worth hundreds of billions of dollars. Notice what it says. They are decked with gold and precious stones and pearls. Now, there's no one group that we can point out here, but it does say that she has a golden cup in her hand. Golden cup. That's very deceptive. Golden cup. She's going to offer the finest in drink to the world. It's going to be like, oh, this is the highest and the best food that you could have. I just read this week that a new report says that the Mormon church, the apostate Mormon church, in 20 years will be worth $1 trillion. They say that their uh, rainy day fund will be bigger than Google and Microsoft together. And they prepare for the second coming. Folks, it will be a confederacy. It will be rich and full. 
Then notice number four, the contempt of God. This cup is beautiful, but it's full of filth. A golden cup in her hand, verse 4, full of abominations and filthiness of her fornication. And her forehead was a name written, so beautiful, so alluring. That's why it's so deadly, because it's full of abominations and immorality. She is able to make the disgusting and the wicked look good. Very clearly that this is an intoxicating, alluring drink. Will it be the use of alcohol or marijuana or other hallucinogens? Oh, no. It is clear that many demonic ceremonies, even today, use some sort of uh, hallucinogen to help them in their so-called religious life, seeking their God. There's even a church over here in the Bay Area now that uses magic mushrooms. But she's intoxicated. But notice what's really intoxicating. It says, in her hand, is, in the cup, is fornication. It's interesting that God used that word fornication because that's the Greek word porneo. God used it, which is what we get our word pornography from. What is porneo? It is really the word prostitution. Twenty-five times it's used in the New Testament. It's used for illicit sexual intercourse, adultery, fornication, homosexuality, bestiality, things like that. And so notice, so when you put it all together, you have this religious, political entity that has this beautiful golden cup that is full of pornography, full of sexual deviancy. And notice it's in her hand. So she's advocating it. She's embracing it. She's celebrating it. My friend, any religion, any group, any denomination, any leader that celebrates sin, whether it be abortion, whether it be LGBTQ, whether it be the gender lies, is playing right into the hand of the one holy cup. It is wicked. The Bible says it's an abomination. In fact, it says it continues in verse number 5. Upon her forehead, bold as it can be, right on the forehead, printed this, tattooed this. She doesn't care. Mystery Babylon is the way mother of harlots and abominations of the earth. This uh, Babylonian garment, this, this Babylonian uh, uh, religion, in order to really understand it, I think we need to quickly talk about the original Babylon. Let's go to Genesis chapter 11. In order to understand the coming Babylon, we need to really quickly take a look at the past Babylon. After the flood, Noah and his family, Kent, Shem, Ham, and Japheth, and their wives began to repopulate the world. Soon the world, verse 1 of Genesis 11, was of one language and one speech. So they all came out of the same family. All had been through the flood, and new ones were populating the earth. It was just amazing. Verse 4, let's skip down a little bit to save time. Go to, they say, let us build a city and a tower whose top may reach unto heaven. And let us make us a name. We're tired of all this Jehovah God business. We want to make ourselves a name. And so with their tremendous unity and power, verse 7, God said, we need to go down and confound their language that they may understand each other's speech. Notice what it says there. Go to, that means come. Let us. Notice that's a trinity. Our God is three in one. Let us go down and confuse their language. And so the result, verse 8, God scattered them on the face of the earth. Verse 9, the name of it was called Babel. Even today when someone can't talk intelligently, we say they're babbling. Because the Lord did confound their language. So what's going on here? This was a rebellion against the true God. What they were building was the first great humanistic enterprise. They would build these towers called ziggurats. We have on earth many of them. On the top of those ziggurats were often symbols. They have found signs of the zodiac that we even, that people today even look at. Priests were ordained. They were supposed to chart the stars and gain wisdom about the future, what's going to happen. But they were all just simply trying to circumvent God. 
a defiant rebellion against the true and the only God. Isn't it amazing when you think about it? God had drowned the world because of their sin. You would think they had gotten enough of it. But this was the first root form of false religion. There were individuals who had, you know, strayed from God from the beginning. But this was the first organized group of false religion. And it was all led by one man by the name of Nimrod. Genesis chapter 10, verse 8, and Cush begat Nimrod. Some have said that his name means rebel. He began to be a mighty one on the earth. Verse 9, he was a mighty hunter before the Lord. Genesis 10, verse 9. Even as Nimrod, the mighty hunter, before the Lord. That's an interesting phrase because Nimrod's goal, he was before God. Me first, then you second, God. He had power. He had a kingdom. He was the foreshadowing of the Antichrist. Nimrod established this complex system of counterfeit to God's truth. It was Nimrod who got them all together. And then the Bible says now in the final days, all of Babylon's babies are going to come back home to the great prostitute. And then finally tonight, this morning, the crime of the harlot, verse 6. Here's the crime. Here's the indictment. I cannot finish without going through this. Verse 6. And I saw the woman drunken with the blood of saints. Drunk with the blood of the saints. Maybe these were the Old Testament saints. And also with the blood of the martyrs of Jesus. Maybe these were the New Testament saints. And when I saw her, I was offended. I was shocked with great admiration. Not in a good way, but just shocked at the bloodiness of this false religion. You wouldn't think that that would be so murderous, but it is. Like most harlots, this one is a drunk harlot. Drunk, however, on the blood of the saints and the martyrs of Jesus Christ. A murdering group. Did you know that that's long been the case? This world has long martyred and killed God's people. False religions from the time of Jesus have been killing people, Christians. Did you know from the time of Jesus to today, it is estimated that 50 million Christians, Bible-believing God-fearing Christians have been killed by religious fanatics. One million in an Inquisition era. You know, today we sit here in this building, and as you know, we are unashamedly Baptist in our doctrine and our background. And so you could say in that respect, we're Baptist. We worship in peace. But did you know that several hundred years ago, that would have not been the case? We couldn't have done that. Anabaptists, which are called rebaptizers, meaning they just believed that you had to be a believer before you could be baptized. So the Catholic Church called them rebaptizers or Anabaptists. They were persecuted by them. They were also persecuted by the Protestants. In fact, in 1528, King Ferdinand of Austria ordered all Anabaptists eradicated from Europe. They were beheaded. They were burned at the stake. They were put into houses. They were set the houses on fire. Some of the men of the homes were murdered and then nailed to the front door of the house. They hated Bible-believing Christians in those days. Verse number 6 says, When I saw her, I was shocked. I was shocked. A world is headed for a religious monster. But because the world is such a needy place, everybody's going to be looking for something to give them hope and something to give them some help during this time. We, they're going to seek for religion even though it's false. Folks, there is a coming false religion. It's going to be full of signs and wonders and the hallmarks of the unholy trinity will be all these amazing miracles that happen. There is a generation that is being and will be swept into hell by a demonstration of satanic religion. Friends, do not be deceived. We must not be deceived. It's not about just someone teaching the wrong thing. 
Folks, these are some serious things that are going to happen and that are happening. Suppose for a moment as we uh, close with this thought. Suppose for a moment you were to die and you stood before the Lord. And our Lord were to ask that all-encompassing question. Why should I let you into heaven? Why should I let you into my holy eternity? And suppose you were to answer this question, well, Lord, I, there was a time I was seeking you, and I really wanted to know more about you. I was interested in religious truth. And do you remember that beautiful angel you sent to visit me? And the angel told me, everything is okay. You're going to go to the heavens. You remember that, don't you? And then suppose at that very moment a devil appeared on the scene and said, Oh, you fool. That was no angel. That was me. I was the one who spoke to you. An angel of the devil can be transformed to an angel of light. And that's exactly why God said we need something different than just some vision to say we're going to heaven or some feeling. That's why the beloved John wrote in 1 John 5 and verse 13, These things have I written. These things have I written unto you that believe on the name of the Son of God, that you may know that you have eternal life. Do you know it? The Bible says you can know it, but it's based on the written promise of God. God says that you will repent of your sins. If I will ask Jesus to be my Lord and Savior, He will come in. And you will have eternal life. All of the things we've talked about can affect us wonderfully. Our heads are bowed and our eyes. We hope you enjoyed listening to the preaching and teaching from God's Word today. You can get more information about our church and about starting a relationship with Jesus Christ at www.thehomechurch.net. From all of us here at The Home Church in Lodi, California, thank you for joining us.